0: This episode is sponsored by Vorbos. Check them out in the description below. So you're in a basement in a church. You've got about, you know, four young people. How do you take it to a place where it's actually like a proper cohort? Because now, obviously, Intermission puts on productions. Obviously, I've been privileged enough to be a part of one. Yeah. But as in, so now you have, you know, sort of whole stage. You have, you know, audiences and you put on full-on professional theatre productions. How do you go from four kids playing, you know, drama games to, to that? What's the next step?
1: So when we was doing those those drama games... It was, as I said, they had a really good time and so I, and they wanted to come back. So we, I said, look, we'll do this every two weeks. And this four turned into six, six turned into eight because, you know, young people talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had eight in that first year and we're doing just, you know, games. And then I was like, this is where the persuasion had to come in mm. like, because I was running out of games. And I'm just like, oh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna leave, leave yeah. soon if I don't, you know, <laughs> switch yeah. this up. So I said to them, all right, we're going to put on a play. And then, um, and this was the big, one of the biggest mistakes, but not now, retrospectively, but I was like, it yeah. was like, what play were we going to do? I said, we're going to do Shakespeare. Because that's all I knew. Yeah, I was like, doing yeah. Shakespeare tour. That's what I did when I was behind the door. Because
0: like, yeah, yeah, because you, 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 just to touch on that, because you mentioned before, and obviously I know this, but, um, but for the listeners, you were doing Shakespeare before intermission started, even when you were, you were reading it, when you were in the pen. And then yeah, after yeah. you came out, you did a tour in Othello, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That, so well, my first engagement, well, my second, my first was in school. But that was a horrible experience, and then mm. when I I, I experienced Htra again, it was behind the door, and it was, you know, it it kind of spoke to me. I was looking at a fellow, mm. and um, and I didn't know he had uh, uh, he wrote black characters. I, you know, I was completely unaware of that. But that story of a of a of a man searching for love and belonging and identity was something that I was going through at the time. Mm. So it it you know it was poignant for me, and and it made me want to know more about the story, and that's how I got into it. But then. Working with these youngsters, I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll do a Shakespeare play. They was like, hey, one of them literally started doing no like effing. And you know who it is as well. Um, and he bolted out the door, so I had to run after him. i ran run after him. No, you don't understand. Come back, come back, come back. And, you know, you're losing the youngster kids. So this and, is to where the persuasion comes in. This, yeah. is persu- <laughs> this is where the persuasion comes in now. Do you know what I mean? And anyway, I got, got them back in, sat them down, and I was like, trying to convince them that, you know, it's good to do Shakespeare. And I'm like, what are you talking... Why are you trying to convince these... Put yourself in their shoes. Mm. you got to be interested in it, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, all right, cool. Forget Shakespeare. We won't do Shakespeare. Um we, We'll do some other stuff. And then I started doing some improvisation around the themes of Shakespeare's Caesar. It was Julius Caesar, the play yeah. that I wanted to look at them with. And I chose that play because I thought it was, for me, it was the ultimate knife crime. You know, Caesar gets stabbed to death behind his back by some conspirators. And, and in 2008, that's, that was right on our streets, you know, mm. knife crime and stuff like that. Still is, yeah. Still is, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But um so we started looking at the scenarios, not talking about Shakespeare at all, the situation that the characters find themselves in and I'd be speaking about, you know, situations and talking about how that responds in their life and then we'd do some improv around it. And that we that went on for about six weeks. And then I was like and they created some beautiful stuff, mm. you know what I mean? And I was like, it would be a shame to lose this and I was at home one day and I was like, What happens what would happen if I merge Shakespeare's text with what these young people have come up with? And i did that i started going through the text and taking out lines from shakespeare and mixing it with what they were saying mm-hmm. um and it kind of it was it was interesting it read quite well i was reading it. i think oh, okay it's interesting so you know the friends roman countrymen speech let mm. me your ears i come to bury Caesar not to praise him so i kind of flipped it and it was friends road men man them give me a second i come to bury season not to big him up yeah the yeah, evil yeah. that men do lives after them the good more time you see it in their heart like caesar and that's exactly how these young people were speaking yeah, yeah. but the rhythm was so akin to Shakespeare's rhythm, the iambic Pentameter, that heartbeat, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, you know, was was running through what they were creating. So I knew that I was onto something, do you know what I mean? And um when we when I brought the text back and we read it, they were just in they were in love and they were started to they were recognising the characters from Shakespeare. Mm. do you know what I mean? And and they were asking questions. So I was like, Well, why do not we open the text and find the answers? Yeah. So it was them wanting to read Shakespeare, do you know what I mean? And not me saying Shakespeare, Shakespeare, yeah. Shakespeare, Shakespeare.
0: When you realize that it's all stories and it's all the same, you don't have to sell it. Like that is an amazing thing. I mean, in school, even as an actor in school, I hated Shakespeare, mm. couldn't stand it. Yeah. And and it was intermission and it was you that allowed me to actually fall in love with Shakespeare yeah, because yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, it's just a story. Yeah. Like Romeo and Julio is literally just two teenagers who are in love Yeah, yeah, yeah and they yeah, want yeah, to be yeah. with each other, but actually, they can't, it's uh, complicated. Absolutely. It's just, and as you said, you know, Julius Caesar, like, it's a knife crime. Mm. Like it's, they're just stories and when you when you can flip that and you realize it the whole fight and the sort of pushback of each side just goes away mm. because you can just make it into into art and shakespeare was slang as you famously said in interviews yeah, and stuff shakespeare yeah. Yeah. the line about chaucer that you have it's a great line but i if you if you could that the point about <laughs> Chaucer, it's
1: a great point yeah, yeah yeah because i always you know when our first when we first did that play wasted in 2008 that's what we called it the um, reimagining of julius caesar it the tabloids were all over it There was stories in the paper about what he was doing because people couldn't really understand it. you had shakespeare you had kind of young kids from the estate you had predominantly the african diaspora speaking shakespeare hip-hop music there was just like what Mm. is this and then there were some articles that are talking about dumbing down shakespeare and you know their language being um you know kind of colloquial and 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 ruining the english language and all that
2: I think you're always going to get some negative press whenever you want know like to. And 100%. And we all know
1: that negative press, you can use that to your advantage yeah. as well. But, yeah. you know, but one of the things what Ali's talking about, why I often say when people ask me about language and young people, I say, listen, if Chaucer was showing Shakespeare, it'd be horrified by the bastardization of the English language. So, you know, Shakespeare changed the English language, yeah. and young people today are doing the same thing. you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And we better, we, we better wake up because you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're rising, mate. If
3: we had any business offered of Pimlico and they complicate it, I'd say, no, leave it. They go, we've got to have a meeting. No, we don't have meetings. You know, yeah. We come with, look, simple. We turn up, we do the job, pay us the money. Yeah. Someone's got a product, I'll provide you the product, I'll send it, pay the money. You, the art of it is keeping simple. And yeah. too many people, um, you know, they they waste so much time in business.
2: Oh, yeah, just in, in business as well, but also when you're working for someone else, if you're working for, for a company. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
3: the amount of time you spend in meetings for meetings. So much faff.
2: It's so much. Look,
3: they- I, I, my pet, I... Is, is meetings but yeah. right? I've never done them never will do them and, and what a good thing that's be because yeah. if you're paying people they sit around all day for three hours and then they still can't make a decision mm. I learned to, to make decisions and you know most decisions in life are yes or no and you ask me any question and within 60 seconds it's going to be yes or no from me That's interesting actually so
2: on that point did you ever have anybody that you could go to at Pimlico Plumbers to reassure yourself that you're making the right decision or were you always just confident that
3: well said- i think i was confident but eventually when you when you start moving on a bit you start employing good people like um quality control manager or a marketing manager and and i learned to sort of delegate in business which is quite hard because you think you're the only one can do it and then i've got a, an, an account manager i've got a canteen manager i've got a, um a stock manager i've got a my, uh, transport manager and I learned to put someone in charge of every department and believe me they know more about that department than you mm. so I might ring up transport and say uh, this this that and all about that I'm not a problem I've got it sorted we're on it you know, fucking hell, you, know, you know so you learn to delegate in business and I'm a great believer of putting someone in charge of every department because they're accountable for it and, and you haven't even got to oversee it you know what I mean? It's a bit like, well, it's my department. You know, yeah. like a canteen, you know. I think we had three to four people working their canteen. I made um, Ian, the canteen manager. And it was like, you know, it was all run like very precise and military. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't want to worry about we got no bread or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. food weren't good.
0: Yeah. yeah, I can't remember who said it. Um, It might have been Steve Jobs, but I don't want to quote on that because I'm not sure. But someone said how... When you hire people, the whole point is you're hiring them because they're good at what they do. If you're yeah. going to hire them and then micromanage every step of what they do, it defeats the point. You're bit. hiring them to relieve yourself of the stress. So if you trust them in the job, let That's them a do bit. it.
3: You know, when I started hiring people like in manager, they come up to me, "Can I run this past you, Charlie?" I say, "Well, I'd rather you don't." Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's a, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna run it past me, you know. I, it, <laughs> I love that approach, <laughs>
0: I make, I'd rather you didn't, to be honest, mate. That's it sounds like a bit. Yeah, sounds like a bit of a ball like, if I'm honest. Well, like, it's yeah. a bit like yeah. you know,
3: it's a basic thing. And you say, well, look what I was going to do today, and I go, look, you ain't even got to tell me. Just make it happen. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, and that's sort of, of course if it's a big thing, you go go to someone. Um, you know, can we just talk about it? Yeah, of course. But basic stuff, you know, that's your job. That's what you're good at. Another thing I learned in business, don't put square pegs in round holes. You know, when I first started off, I might employ um, a telephonist taking the calls and all of a sudden they're, they're no good and I move them into helping accounts or helping recruitment. Yeah. And I realised then square pegs in round holes don't go. Mm. And Because you, you feel sorry for that person. You think, look, there's something about this person. They're good, but they're no good on the phone. And then you think, I'll give them a try on accounts and you think you know, not really, they're a bit slow on that. So you find out what the person's good at and you put them in that role.
0: I wanted to touch on um, the fact that you guys are best friends because I think that's a really important point for a lot of people because obviously there's the age-old thing of, you know, don't mix business and friends and don't work with friends. I've always found it to be a great thing. I find it to be really conducive. I spoke to an entrepreneur the other day who said "I, I believe in uh, starting things with friends and working with friends, but I don't believe in hiring friends because then there's a, there's a power dynamic there that I'm not really comfortable with. But then I've met people who have done the opposite. So talk me through that. What was it like? You know, did you guys think about that ahead of time about what it was going to be like? Did you have to sit down and say, look, you know, who's doing what? Who's this? Who's that? You know, I think that's quite an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people.
4: I Yeah, I I think we, we've we always had a very, very clear understanding of where we want to go. And mm-hmm. we realized that working together is going to um, mean that we're going to get there. Um, so I, I think we've been clear about that from the start. At the beginning, I think it did help that I started the business and I was able to um, impart the knowledge. So I, I was in, in a way to begin with senior, but then very quickly, I, Dan, I saw Dan was fully invested in it and wanted to share share it with him so um i think that that really aided things and we now have regular conversations in terms of um our approach to it um and, and where we want to get to and and how we're feeling about things so we have a very open in that regard um and yeah we've got the same friendship group we live together so um so yeah it, it hasn't been a negative at all and uh, it, it helps knowing someone
5: uh really really well i think yeah and no, it's that level of trust mm. it's- where you know someone so well, you know every single thing about them, you know what they're good at, what they're not so good at. And for us, it's, it's worked incredibly well because we knew going in, and this is sort of bringing it back to what I said initially, we were going to make it work. And I knew how hard wanted work through school. I knew how hard we needed to work together to make it work. Mm. And a lot of the time, if you go in with a friend, sometimes that friend doesn't work as hard or there's one person who's not doing or pulling their weight. Mm. that never happened with us and so we always pulled our weight we always went into things together and i think it's it's a bit of a weird situation to be living with and
3: uh, yeah about.
5: someone but for us it really worked because the only time we had to ourselves where we could say right let's work on the business rather than in the business was on car journeys and mm. so it was on the commute and we used to drive it was about an hour and 15 from bristol into our warehouse admit and, Mir. and they were some of the most productive hours and so we literally live breathe slept <laughs> eat yeah, yeah. Um, and so um yeah it's just worked incredibly well i think we complement each other well in terms of what we're good at um, and what we're not so good at yeah and um yeah I, I think you you have to get lucky with that because i do know people that you do yeah you know. do you need to know the other person
2: very well right i think i like, mean me and ollie starting this podcast it's a good match mm. of Skills and you need to know that before you start. To be honest with you,
0: yeah, I'd like to know what is it that's in terms of the division, sort of between the two of you. What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses, and vice versa? Like, where do you complement each other? Because I always find that interesting.
4: So I, I think I look at things. Well, I, I look at things from a, a more uh, financial perspective. Hmm. Um, it's purely based on how I've been thinking from a very young age because it, I always wanted to make sure was, we were making, uh, making the most of our money and we were reinvesting it in the right way. Uh, so yeah, on the financial side and uh, the, the product marketing side, um, I do a little bit more and with um, people.
5: And, yeah, so yeah. I think this is where it complements quite well. We do a lot of the same things on different channels. So for example, I might manage Amazon. one um, well Monty might manage Wayfair. But there are separate and things that we do outside of that so obviously with the people side mm. i'm probably stronger in terms of like teams and people and pulling people together making sure people are on task that sort of thing but in terms of the division of work we do do a lot of things and i think it it really helped in the the early stages because we could do everything mm. we weren't relying on one another so oh, i can't do this can you do that or yeah i can't yeah it, so it it's an interesting one because people always ask that but yeah, yeah. we don't like a lot of founders we don't have Separate roles where I'm really responsible for, and yeah. um, product, for example, Monty's only responsible for financials. We do do a lot of the same things. So.
4: I think we have st- we have stronger stronger areas, and, and Dan Dan deals with uh, uh, with certain areas like uh, all the legal things, uh, looking through legal documentation and that sort of thing. Um, but as Dan said, we do have a lot of skills that we are both very good at because mm-hmm. we've we essentially grew up together in business. So yeah. we, we know, we both know the same mm. things or many of the same things. Um, and I think where the division lies is um, where we prefer and where we enjoy and where we maybe worked a little bit harder over the years. We
6: were absolute press whores. You know, would be in absolutely anything and everything. Yeah. Can,
0: can I actually just take a quick second here? Because you dropped an absolute gold nugget when we were um, having one of our legendary 6am conversations about a month ago. And it, it was just, it was such genius that I thought I have to remember to mention on the podcast. Can you please go into what you did with the guy who was writing the articles? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. This yeah, is, yeah. this is honestly, this is amazing. I haven't had this. This is such a beautiful little golden. Wait, nugget. I think we're talking about the same thing okay so just because you said
6: about being press whores and that came straight back yeah i have to make him say that so there so startups.co.uk is the industry magazine publication for startups and every um month or every week they'll have a spotlight a founder spotlight or a startup spotlight and it's always the same questions right um you know Whatever the questions were, who gives a shit, right? Uh, There's like 10 questions, always the same. And I also happen to know that journalists, by and large, are very lazy. Um, Or maybe I shouldn't say lazy. They have so many deadlines and so so much shit they have to churn out now because of the state of journalism Mm. in this country and, and abroad that if you can write an article for them, you've just like made their day. So this same same uh, journalist was writing the same article like every single you know week. And so I was just like and it was over christmas time. So I was just like look you don't know me I'm founder of pouch I've answered all your questions here you go. And she was like cheers thanks so much and then like the next day we were like the spotlight <laughs> on was like you get. Yeah. And then the BBC guy was like, oh, I found out about you. From <laughs> start you, out you game. Game. How great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <is> <laughs> Solve yeah. a
0: problem. Do, do their yeah. job for yeah, them. Yeah,
6: Make yeah. it easy for them. And all, I would all she had to do was just push a button yeah. at that point. Yeah. She, that's addition. I think that's all she did do. And I think she, you know, I, I had this image in my head of her getting stressed over the holidays and this like email coming in. And yeah. Go, oh, thank God. You know, Um, uh, but we did a lot of things like that. We, our PR, well, we did all of our own PR. Yeah. And um, we, um, some of it didn't scale, but some of some of it really did. There was this great resource, it's, and I'm pretty sure it's still around called Response Source, whereby most journalists will, if they're writing about a topic, um, will just the, on this platform will say, I'm you know from the Daily Mirror, and I'm writing about you know money saving tips, mm. right, and then just puts it out there, and then usually PR companies who pay for this service who represent, you know, you know, um, what was that Martin Lewis thing
0: called? Uh, money Week? Money you whatever. Money like, Week, somewhere? I think, I don't know.
6: Uh, let's say, you know, re- represents um, Honey or whatever. Um, then the PR guy will go, oh, great, yeah, we'll, um, we'll participate in your article if you need an interview or you need, you know, um, a quote or something like that. And so we just did that all the time because we managed to shoehorn pouch into any topic. I mean, I was literally talking about Brexit in some cases, like you know whatever, like founders Brexit, anything that linked back to our website yeah. and optimised our website to conversion. Yeah. I was like, if you put a fucking link on this article, I'll do whatever you, whatever yeah. you want, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so the, we we were in lots of different things. We were in, um, but we also what we managed to do is. um, yeah again shoehorn ourselves into places we didn't have much business so obviously money saving tips is like straight straight in our wheelhouse you know e-commerce data kind of like shopping behaviors kind of in our wheelhouse as well then like fashion well we work with fashion retailers and like you know oh according to pouch you know this summer collection is that kind of shit anything Mm -hmm. you know and i think it became one of those things where we were just in so much stuff and, um, you know, I'm sure it drove everyone crazy as well. Like their LinkedIn's just got clogged up with all of our bullshit. Mm. But I think, I I do think that that all helps and it's all free as well you don't have to do anything to yeah. do that and helping out journalists and then being the go-to person then is a feedback loop whereby they get in touch with you and sure you know.
2: i mean with the clients that you've got coming in i'm guessing they're from multiple industries right yes. a real a real mix yeah. um so you i'm guessing correct me if i'm wrong but can't tailor the advice to each specific individual sector right is that is that correct
7: yeah so i i don't do sector specific okay. Right. Um. We, we train any industry, any business, and I train on six elements. Right? Okay. So businesses, it doesn't matter what business you're in, there are elements that are transferable from each industry. So the, the first element and the base, if you like, the baseline, which is what we ensure that anyone coming through our programs has got right, mm. is actually mastering the business owner themselves. So we want to cultivate that winning mentality, in that person because now having trained thousands the ones that win believe they can win so if you're starting a business you know like, oh, I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I can do this. like we've got to get over that hurdle first we've got to get you in that mindset of like I will win so that's like the first first phase and it's pretty there's specific things you can do with someone to help build their confidence, to sell to help build their self belief, their self esteem, to get them more dolled into the business, and really get them understanding, get them some quick wins, and we work on that part of getting the business owner to be right first. That's the first thing we do. Once you've got the, um, once you've got the mindset right, in terms of
0: um, practicality, do you feel like there are certain specifics? sort of specific issues that you see come up a lot more maybe than others? Like, are there, a cer- yeah. are there certain practical hurdles that come up a lot with a lot of these, um, you know? Yeah, if we're, honest, if we're what, talking what about
7: they? startups, so, yeah. I'll, so I'll tell you the, the five things that sit on top of that base, and then I'll, I'll circle back to the question. So the five things that sit on top of that base is marketing. You've got to be able to get out to market, and if nobody knows who you are, you can have the best product or service in the world, but no one knows who mm-hmm. you are. It doesn't matter how good it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to be out to market. You've got to get out to market. Once you're out to market, you're going to generate leads. You're going to generate inquiries. You need to be able to sell. So you need to be able to sell your products or services, which is absolutely essential. If anybody thinks that they are going to grow a fantastic business with no sales skills, you are going to be in for a surprise. Right. You are going to have to be able to sell because you are always selling, and and maybe even in like you said, the industry you guys are going into you're still selling when you say, hey, is there anyone else you can recommend us to? Yeah. Mm. That, that, yeah. that is, you, you know, you're selling the... It's like a soft pitch. Yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. So you've got to be able to sell. The third thing is you've got to have a strategy where you understand how you are going to generate income and monetize. So you have to have a business strategy that makes you money so you can create profit, so you can keep reinvesting that in order to grow the business. You've got to know your numbers, so you've got to keep your eye on your numbers and you've got to understand that, then you've got to build a brand. Right, And that brand's really, really powerfully important as well because mm. that will get you better clients, it'll get you better people, it'll help you grow quicker. So they're really the six elements that we train on. Now, what do people struggle with at the start-up? Is that the question?
0: Yeah, sort of. Are there? Are there do you find that when you're speaking to people, uh, when you're coaching them, that there are certain sort of issues that you, that you, yeah. you, you, you encounter
7: more than others? Yeah. So the, the ones that I encounter, so it's the stages, right? So it's which problem at which stage. So at the beginning, when somebody's starting up, it's all about that base, it's all about getting them to believe. It's getting them to understand that they can win. It's got getting them to understand that they can do it and getting them to understand those basic principles. And of course, then they need a product or a service or a vehicle. So you've got to make sure that they're vehicles, right? So for example, a podcast is the vehicle. Okay, right, so we've got the vehicle. We know what we're going to do at least. Right? If somebody doesn't know what they've got to do, they need a vehicle in order to be able to go and grow, don't they? Mm. Right? So you have to establish the vehicle. So that's like the, the beginning stages. Then the next problem is, is usually a sales problem. Because I didn't have that problem because I was trained in sales. Mm. So I had no problem. I, I was very good at sales. That was one thing I had when I started. So the next thing that you've got to do is you've got to be able to sell because you've got to go and ask those questions. You've got to have those conversations. You've got to go and put yourself forward. And if you cannot sell, then you are going to hit a block very, very quickly. Mm. Now, you can only sell so much. So this is where you hit your next cap. So if you build on the set, so you get the right mindset, you get the right vehicle, then you go out to market, you start selling. Where you're gonna hit your next problem? Where you're gonna hit your next problem is you are gonna sell through everyone you know, sell through all your referrals, mm-hmm. sell through all your recommendations, you know, sell all your repeat business, and then you're gonna be stuck. And the reason you're going to be stuck is because not enough fresh prospects, not enough fresh people are going to know about you. And that's where we've got to embrace marketing mm. because we need to get known. So that's when we're going to start to invest in marketing, understand how to use marketing as a leverage tool to be able to introduce us to the next people to sell. Right, so that's the next part that we're, mm. we're going to grow. So now we've got the baseline, we've got sales, we've got marketing. Now we're going to need to refine our business strategy to make sure that we're continuously lowering our cost of acquisition of new clients and also making sure those clients repurchase, making sure that we're getting the repeat business, making sure we're getting the, the returning sales and getting people to buy more. Right, mm. So that's really in the next stage. Um, and From there, as you grow, you're going to need to know your numbers because if you don't know your numbers, you're going to hit a problem. All right, and that's a horrible yeah. problem to have. And and from there, we want to build the brand. And the brand we build as we go along anyway. But that's kind of the, the challenge is that sales is a big challenge mm. for people. Marketing is a big challenge mm. and mindset's a big challenge. They're really the challenge. So you founded Absolute Collagen with your mum,
0: which is obviously quite an, uh, an original story because that doesn't happen very often. Um, so why don't you take us sort of for a few minutes back to the very, very beginning. How did that even come about?
8: Yeah, of course. So I went off to uni to do food science. I actually applied to do psychology and then randomly changed last minute which is kind of like a weird curveball in the story Mm. um my sister turned 17 so she could learn to drive and my mum woke up one day and kind of sat at the end of the bed and was like I haven't got any kids like what do I do like I have this life like I can do anything with it um she hadn't got to be like the mum the best friend like she realized she could be kind of whoever she wanted to be. Mm. And so she always had this affinity with art, fine art. She's only like, gonna do an art degree. Um so she embarked on that. We both did a year of uni with nothing kind of no synergies really. Luckily it wasn't the same uni because that wouldn't have she <laughs> would, would have be a better social yeah. life than me, I think. Right. Probably. Wow. Um okay. yeah she was quite wild. But she was always that person that sort of walked in the room. She was like the the entertainer but that wasn't kind of like who she truly was if that made sense. Um but in doing this art degree, she did one... Um, she could kind of choose what she wanted to do. Like, art students are wacky and eccentric. I think we can all yeah, very true. agree on that one. Very true. Um, but she did this project and she called it Dare to Go Bare. Um, and she turned up at my bedroom door one day with a big tattoo here, a nose piercing. And I've got quite long, like, curly hair. She did too. She chopped it all off and stripped the color out. When you strip the color out of something, it goes yellow, ginger, okay. orange, <laughs> okay. and had this like wacky hair. And I was like, oh my God, you've lost it. Like she bought a motorbike two years before, like a Ducati, like 900.
0: Your mum sounds like just an absolute legend <laughs> oh, yeah, <she> <laughs> so okay. far. I mean, you touched on your relationship with your mum, but I think that's a really interesting thing to circle back to because I think a lot of people will have impressions about what it could be like working with family or working <laughs> with friends. And that smile I think is quite telling. So. Do you think there is anything maybe that you would have done differently in terms of working with your mum? And what if someone was to ask you, I'm thinking of going into business with maybe a family member, what do you think?
8: I don't, If looking back, I'd give my mum more of a break. I could be quite ruthless. Right. Yeah. But we are very direct and straight with each other. And that kind of scares people sometimes. Um, so, yeah, my boyfriend works at AC. So we've been together since before I psychologist. college. Yeah. He was an accountant, and every evening I'd be like, "Numbers." I'm yeah. dyslexic. Mum's dyslexic. Don't give us okay. anything to yeah, do yeah, with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maths. Um, and then, so he came on board. My little sister does all our organic social media. Okay. Um, I think, and it might sound really bad. My dad and my mum split up when I was twelve. I think if my mum had a partner, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. In, what, like, in, what, in what way? Like another man, like a man in the house. We were working from home. She was taking big risks. We were taking big risks as a family. I think if there was another person in that situation that she could have...
0: They could have been like, are you sure this is a good idea? Yeah. yeah. Someone's like... dissuade
2: her almost.
8: Yeah. And I think our relationship's awesome. Like we have... My mum's like very creative and wacky. She always says like, oh, we are but three. This is like, I think. And it's like, whichever one of us needs to step forward at the time being me and my sister or her like we'll do and we'll kind of like lead on that um but yeah I think you know she's with my dad for 15 years um AC wouldn't be where it is if she didn't one stop stop drinking so she's not drunk like 10 years now or two like split off my dad because she wouldn't have realized her own kind of confidence worth issues Mm, um so it's all happened that's the thing with business isn't it like everyone's like how did you do it like blah 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 blah. i'm like right product right time like there's Mm. a lot of luck involved like there is like you can work as hard as you want but there's certain moments that can be like the pinnacle of the turning point of you doing something and i'm sure if we made a load of those decisions differently we wouldn't have been in the same position sure um and a lot of that is down to luck, I guess. Yeah,
0: was there anything specific that was like a really big sort of nearly didn't make it moment or a struggle that you might have been through
9: at any point? Uh more struggles and su- successes, I will say. Um I will say there hasn't been one like, oh my god, I'm I'm like in tears, I can't breathe. Like not, not nothing so tragic, think like, you know, touch wood. Mm. But I will say there's been so many, so many drawbacks. Like I can name like So many, but like, let's name a few. Like, we printed 30,000 cartons and had Lorem Ibsen written on it. And and then we're like, What "What the hell? And then I have to, like, I get told that uh, when we're about to go in our assembly line. Uh. And they're like, If you don't get the cartons by a day, forget the Lorem Ibsen 30,000 cartons that's gone wasted. I might miss my production run now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. Because
0: that's a monumental mistake. Yeah, yeah, someone yeah. someone left the stock
9: text yeah, on yeah, the yeah. carton? It was just like right over it. Like, Ooh. oh, that's... Am- oh, and like, and, like, you have to like remember, like we're all human. So I have to, as a CEO, I can't raise my voice and get angry. Yeah, I have yeah, to find yeah. a solution. So I listened to that and I'm like, my first response wasn't, who did it? Why? How do we do this? I want money back. It was... Okay, let's just use those cartons and make an amazing installation. Let's use them for um, discounted products and we'll just explain it
2: for DTC only let's make another one. How quickly can we do it? Is that's that, what you have to that do. That kind of skill set. Do you reckon that's something that you've had to teach yourself whilst being CEO? Or Definitely. Is it, have you always been quite calm and collected? No,
9: I think I had to teach myself, but I think how I've done it is my first main interaction with a failure was that year of okay. university. And I think yeah. that you know I was in tears. I was really like in dark moments. And there was a moment where at that time, that was my reality. I remember even like you know, thinking about it was a very rare, like very, very rare moment for me to go that deep into myself. Mm. But I was like, that's all I knew. I spent, you know, I spent my whole school years after school at 6 p.m. going to tuition. Saturday, two hours in the morning, tuition. Sunday, two hours in the morning, tuition to get my A-stars. Mm. And then being the only one out all my friends failing and everyone goes the year ahead. And second year, I was like, what is it like? Like I'm done, right? Which I think also,
0: by the way, credit to you because I think a lot of people, I wasn't very academic in school. Mm. I kind of was able to get by up to a certain point just by being like myself. But then after a while, it was like you have to study to get through. And I think a lot of people will hear that someone got 10A stars and be like, oh yeah, but he was probably just like a super smart kid and was really like two hours before school and two hours after school. After a whole school mainly day. Mainly just after
9: school, but, but yeah, and weekends as well. But Oh, so yeah, yeah. well, that's still a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's still a lot. over <laughs> like I yeah. wouldn't do before. Yeah, yeah. But, but but generally speaking, it was because I think I remember like when I was eight years old, I was in school and I was like, I'm not that smart. Like I wasn't getting things. So I said like, I went to mom and I was like, I'm not that good. Like, how do I get better? And she's like, okay, I'll put you in extra tuition. And then I just yeah. got better from the extra help. And then I got my grades. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, failing then and having myself to realize Actually, this could like I can decide to make this like armor building. Like, I'm going to get stronger. Like, how do I change my mindset to be like, this is so uncomfortable, this is so scary, this is mm. so like scared, sad, but actually, this could be an opportunity? Mm. Because, why shouldn't I make my mind believe this is an opportunity mm. to, you know, make this an advantage, to make this a lesson, and hopefully come out stronger in it mm. that is what we all want and we all know anyway with time you heal so do i challenge my today self where i'm so distraught or do i actually go further and think about okay in two weeks time i won't be thinking about this as much let's go there quicker mm. let's find a solution let's move on so it feels a little bit like psychotic the way sometimes even my team are like what like you're you're fine and I'm like solution let's go and I love puzzles I love escape rooms so for me I'm like it's like a game I'm like we have to find it maybe it's my inner engineer too um so I kind of have so many failures that I actually look secretly forward to because I'm like I'm learning I'm going to grow and okay yeah that's 30,000 cartons today at least I won't be doing 300,000 cartons in the future because I now have a system Mm. in place to check double check my graphic design on all my cartons right Mm. so I, I wouldn't even go back and change that Because maybe I would do it again in the future. Mm. Everything happens sort of for a reason that you might not see today. You might not ever see. You might not even ever see in your lifetime. But there probably is a reason for it. You
0: mentioned earlier about uh, a connection you had at Google, which I think is a really nice segue into the fact that you were part of Google's female founders program, which is huge. So can you sort of take me through, through that and how you got into it and how it came
2: about?
10: You sent the application i don't even know how you found out about the program so i don't remember one. the application all i remember is Heinen saying we have an interview let's jump online bikes i was like i don't bike across <laughs> london right. and we were like zooming through these bikes to get to the interview And I was like today is the day you decided that we do something new <laughs> and we got to this interview i think the way we found out i was a part of the google campus community and a lot of stuff has changed there first they had a physical office and at some point they just like launched the very first ever cohort application. And we were still at Barclays. However, for us, as we were leaving, we were like, let's de-risk by applying to as much as possible. And it was equity free. So we were like, yeah. awesome, mm, that speaks huge. to us. Uh, like, yeah. Just for anyone listening,
0: can you explain what the Google campus community is?
10: Yes. So it is just a community where, so Google is a huge corporation, and they just want to support startups. Ultimately, they see benefits. It's like great PR for them. And they've created a really cool ecosystem. So there's a Slack group. I don't fully know now. It's still a Slack group, I believe. But first it was actually a physical location, but now they've shut down that building. However, they still have different female cohorts happening across London, Israel, Berlin. So I think if you go on the website, you'll find information. And it's always worth joining, because everything's free, and you meet all these people. And that was like literally our beginning. So we saw this application but i guess what i'll say to this is there's actually a lot of accelerators now and obviously google was a great one equity free but it's like the point for us at the beginning was let's just apply Mm. and if we get in it'll just like expedite our learning process rather than us very slowly go at it
2: looking back at it what do you think you got out of the accelerator program
10: great network and guidance i think as first-time founders it was just Amazing to have not just office space, which they provided at the time, but nine other companies in similar stages who are going through the same thing like product development, first website, first hire, um, (coughs) testing marketing channels, having a weekly founder stand up Mm. that was uh, moderated by Marta Krupinska, who was the head of Google for startups at the time was incredible because she just asked all the relevant questions. Mm. What, are you, what did you struggle with last week? Or mm. what can anyone like help you with? And then there's this open forum. Mm. I don't know how we would have done without that. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And the other bit of network was because we were getting connected to people, for example, on the tech side, someone who's like... Working in cloud solutions architect at Google, great. Like, stuff you'll say in one conversation is what will take months to figure out. The person, Heinen, said, he literally changed the look of our website. There was someone who recommended someone who just for two days read the entire UI, which meant we went from this, like, yellow page with cartoons on it, which is so bizarre, to, like, a proper, clean, real photos, real people. And first, to me, was very jarring. I was like, why did we remove the cartoons? (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but
10: that just goes to show that it's just like we were in such a little bubble yeah. as traders and like on like a finance floor yeah. switching that we're like, what's going on? So these guys really just like, yeah. I think we became something from nothing.
0: I'm curious to know, um, I suppose this is more of a more on the personal front, but still relates to the business. What's your view on um things like work-life balance versus hustle culture and things like that? Are you sort of a wake up at 5 a.m., work 18 hours a day kind of person? Are you very big on I need to have my days off to, to recover and things like that? What's your kind of approach to that?
11: Yeah, it's definitely changed over over time. At the yeah. beginning I was um and for yeah, for a long time very much kind of 18 hour days and um and seven days a week and really like it was a lot of a lot of uh a lot of work in the in the first kind of three four um four years I think that is something I definitely haven't haven't have tried to not pass on to the rest of the team so Mm -hmm. like as a culture in a within the business we've I've always been like relatively firm about like work-life balance and people not working on weekends and not working in evenings and we've always had a sort of eight till six or seven and sometimes when we're in periods of things go on fire which unfortunately has happened more often than not not, then we are working like late and and, uh, um weekends sometimes but um I've I had like a number of different sort of you know close to burnout challenges and things like that throughout Mm. throughout the journey so now over the last kind of couple of years have have been much more focused on ensuring like always have a at least one day off at the weekend like mm. much more often two now and um taking t- the downtime and being able to like be sort of fresh and um and focused versus like um crazy hours mm. because yeah I think a- a- as the business evolves and um you know as a the- as the team's got bigger and things like my job and the things that are important um for me to do in the business I- I do require you know having a clear mind and Mm. making good decisions and things like that, that actually when you are totally burnt out and not slept properly, um, you end up being counterproductive. Mm. Totally.
0: With that knowledge then, in hindsight, if you were starting the business again tomorrow, would you still have done it the way you did it or would you do it differently now? Because there is an element or an argument, I guess you could say, of like in the beginning time, you almost need to go through the whole burnout overworked thing to get it off the ground because there's so much to do.
11: Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I would do it differently in that I I would probably not push it quite as hard as mm. as I did from a from a kind of hours and like health sacrifice and that sort of thing perspective. However, I think the I think the thing around the early stages that is. there is so much to do and you are like, you know, your, your passion, your soul, like everything is in that business. Mm. Right. So, so you are spending a lot of time on it. Um, But I think the much more important thing that I would that I do a lot now that I would bring in earlier is much more around like discipline and exercise and sleep and things like that. So over time I've learned around like the importance of like getting seven hours sleep and the importance Mm. of, you know, doing ex. for me, I've got to do exercise like almost every day, 45 minutes, um, like in the morning and that all, like i'll be set for the day off after yeah. doing that whereas mm. uh, in the early days i'd definitely be like i can't i've got yeah. i've got to, this thing's on fire yeah. wake up sleep yeah. yeah whereas i think actually just having discipline around the the times in which you're working and the things in which you're doing around work that enable you to work better so it's still mm. you're s- mm. still very much like focused on what you're doing but making sure that you're kind of looking after um yeah the the core parts of like health and productivity that yeah. uh, enable me to do that so
0: I was going to say with served up, where did the actual idea for that come from, and what made you think about it enough to actually want to make a business out of it?
12: yeah, so it was actually the first time I was out in china um, so when we when we flew out to, to China to find this factory. We were obviously, it was a very serious business trip, but we also had quite a lot of fun. Uh, I never realized uh, how, you know, modern and actually super cool the the, the hospitality nightlife scene is in Shenzhen. Hmm. Um, so we were going to all these different restaurants and, you know, testing out the amazing payment tech that exists yeah. in China. Um, everything's powered by WeChat and Alipay. So right. everywhere you go, this is even like five, six, seven years ago, and maybe even uh earlier you would go into a venue and you would just scan a qr code and pay on your phone and like you know it was just this light bulb moment that for me it was like i'm seeing the future here this is like this is where the west is going to go you know at some point it's going to catch up with all of this um and i kind of had it in the back of my head so i had that you know the the wechat and alipay experience paying on your phone and then i also went to a restaurant out there where the it was the only place i was able to order myself um because it was a visual menu on your mobile phone so you scanned it and you were able to construct your little burger on your on the screen okay. and, and I was like this is bloody cool like yeah. why is no one doing this outside of outside of China anyway i come back to the uk and i have this you know i think i i literally came straight back from shenzhen and then went to cornwall uh for for like a trip or whatever and i had to pay with cash and i was like what the hell are we doing? Like, (laughs) I, you know, everyone always like used to explain it like, you know, they're a developing country, like all of this stuff. It's complete rubbish. Mm -hmm. Like China is like five, 10 years ahead of the West. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to build this business with Charged Up. I'm going to get a massive network on that. And eventually we can start doing the payment technology off the, on the top of that network. And obviously then, a few years later you know once we built the network we got a load of sites on board that that kind of vision of doing the payments as well it played out we launched the second company and that's where served up all came from
2: what i wanted to also touch on was some of the challenges that you've faced sure. getting to kind of where you are today what's been some of the the hardest moments of the business
13: do you mean i just got my first investment hired a team and uh, i was given seven days notice to? leave the country because... Something like that would rejected. probably spring to mind. Yeah,
2: it might be. Yeah, yeah, that could probably be something along those lines, yeah.
13: Yeah. Yeah, how
2: did you deal with that? That was true. <laughs> okay, really?
13: Yeah, I was given seven days notice to leave the country yeah. when my visa renewal was rejected. Okay. And if I didn't leave within seven days... Um,
2: You'd get deported, would you? you either point?
13: get deported or if you got... You basically have no identity in the country.
2: Wow, okay. How did you navigate that? Yeah. Because I, I I can't imagine our our system is geared towards people getting that done in seven days. So yeah, how did you sort that? I left. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's one option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I actually just left. Yeah, okay. No,
13: so it was really stressful. Um, I can imagine. Um, I had to I have to dismiss the whole team right away after I hired them. Oh wow! Made okay. Uh, of how we're going to grow the business yeah. oh that's awful uh i was kicked out of my uh flat because i don't have a valid uh yeah. visa to legally continue yeah. the rent i put everything i have into a storage hoping that i will be able to find another visa to come back yeah um i also have to sit down with all the investors i just raise money from to expand the situation and uh not trying to make it sound better, but being very realistic. And frank. And frank to expand the situation and where I see the risk, where I see uh, the opportunity. I'm with you. Um,
2: So what point was this then? You say you just raised investment.
13: 2018. Literally.
2: All that hard work. Yeah. Until 2018. Okay. Yeah. And just taken away from you.
13: Yeah. So, We were, so I was talking about, we got Kickstarter campaign done in 2017, uh, August. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to launch the brand in Q1, August. Yeah. I got rejection letter in, I think, May or June. I think June, around that time. So I hired the team prepping for the launch. Of course, yeah. Everything got delayed for sure. Yeah. But then the hardest decision is I... I can't keep you, yeah, of course. because that I must, don't know yeah, if I can hard. come back or yeah, right yeah.
0: now. And so yeah. what happened after that then?
13: I left in a rush, which you can imagine, and uh, I went back to China where my parents uh, live now yep. and tried to figure out a new type of visa to to come back to UK and I emailed every single investor, advisor, friends to mm. see how can you help me to come back?
3: Right, right, (laughs) right.
13: And uh, thankfully, uh, Tech Nation has this visa called uh, Exceptional Talents Visa. It's part of like a, um, like a UK immigration system. They will, they have the quota, at that time it's 200, like a, per year they can write a reference letter okay uh, to u k immigration department to recommend people fine uh, but you have to fit really tough I, I bet year. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right, and yeah. thanks for that thing, yeah um I managed to get a new visa to come back
2: and so how did you pick the business up from nothing then when you came back?
13: oh wow, um I was actually living in my office for a while i have never told anyone yet but around that time like it was just so tough mm. um i could not even rent a place because i had this uh blank period of time on my visa i just don't have a credit mm. uh history to do that because i i'm not paying myself if you rent somewhere you need to do the reference check of course you need, yeah, a, I'm with you. you need a pay yeah. uh, bill uh, a slip. i didn't have that um it's really about I guess it's a belief in the business. And uh, also I am I feel so strongly to fulfill my promise. Like people believe in me, whether it's the early stage backers to our investors, mm. to the friends and the, whoever helped me to come back to the country. I just want to prove that I'm worth your belief. I'm i can do this i
0: saw in another interview you did um you said something that i thought i think is quite relevant now which is you said how obviously you started attending at 42 i believe and uh and you made a point about how nowadays with all the zucks and the uh and sort of young ceos there is this kind of social pressure that you know if you're not a billionaire by 22 yeah you're kind of lagging and yeah. there's probably no point for you um and you made some interesting points about starting older, but I just thought that was really relevant because I think, obviously, at our age, we're sort of fully immersed in, in hustle culture and, you know, the age of Instagram where everyone's having a great life on the surface of it, yeah, yeah. which we all know isn't necessarily the case. Um, but could you maybe touch on that a little bit? Because I find that quite an interesting point.
14: Yeah, so that was really cool because I, I remember in one of uh, – uh read an article, again, it happened to be the Harvard Business Review about like um, – uh, huge piece of research literally fifty thousand people or something and they checked founders and um which were most successful and that and i always ask that you know when i go to speak to students for instance i say, what's the what's the best age to launch your business what's the most successful age should they checked what's the most successful age to launch your business so in other words you know at what age are you most successful yeah. and everyone always goes 24 25 like, and it's 42 which i happen to be exactly 42
12: okay. <laughs> just um, skewed the numbers. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> what do you know? I started there. But
14: that's the most started, the most successful, and that's the, the most started is 42. That's why the question is even better because right. you're like, what's the average age that people start the most company is 42? Okay. And the most successful age, I think, is 45. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, Colonel Sanders
2: does skew that a little bit. Yeah, well, but I think
14: actually, I also, from my own experience, it makes so much sense because Mm. I think you've still got all the energy you need, right? There's not like, obviously you can't be like maybe a pro footballer anymore, but at 42, you still got every energy you need for like at least, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. And you've got all the experience, Mm. you know, so you've got all the network, the contacts, the experience in your field. Um, So I think, yeah, it just, it actually makes a lot of sense. And also, it it takes the pressure off, I think is, is an important one. Like you don't have to, you know, I think, That's another also actually I I think think that all the successful founders have in common. It's not a recipe for success, but I think it's much more finding, you know, what you're good at than finding like a gap in the market. Hmm. If you think about like the Fever Tree guys, for instance, really interesting, right? One uh, was like a gin He was a CEO of a gin company. And the other was an advertising Mm. guy who made, you know, whatever. I think he came up with three quarts of your drink as a tonic. So you might as well mix it with the best. And, you know, them together was perfect because the one guy knew everything about gin. And Mm. the other guy knew everything about how to launch a brand. Mm. You know, so that combo was perfect. Perfect Zuckerberg was so young. So you get these because he was just like in this new world of, he was, but he was the best programmer that there yeah. had ever been, right? Like he was on hardware. Like he, he was like amazingly good. He didn't find a gap in the market unless he's even. Yeah. In the social he created forward. a new market. Well, there, he yeah. stole the idea. <laughs> yeah. um, which was like you could even argue that. But that now I'm going to be sound like a negative <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah. <But like laughs> sending shots on everyone. Yeah, but know. but the fact <laughs> that you could you could argue the fact that he has no no problem with stealing ideas and launching them in a better way. Mm. It's What he did his whole career. That's right, S- speaking of that culture, you um,
0: you recently introduced unlimited annual leave, I believe. Is that right? Yes,
2: we did. Can you t- talk a little bit
15: more to that and why you made that decision? Because uh, we got bored accounting holidays. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> I just think, um, you know, it wasn't my decision again, it was a collective decision. And it's look, you know, I always say to people, um, as the business has grown, fewer and fewer people report into me, but but I do run our executive search arm, one one function of the business. And, I, you know, you're talking adult to adult, you're yeah, having conversations, and they say, oh, how many days holiday do I get? And I always think, I I sort of know the answer to that question, but like my response is, if I'm having to count, or well, you are, there's a bit more of a problem within that. Mm. It's like... I'm not asking you to work your weekends mm. but from time to time I'm hoping you'll want to not because I I want you to it's because you're full of this passion to deliver on behalf of your client that means oh, you know not, not 10 hour days over the weekend but, but, but so for me it's just this trust and trade thing it's like I'm not I'm not counting and if I have to go and count there's probably more of a problem than the amount of holidays you've taken Mm. does that make
0: sense no I completely agree I've always thought it's crazy. I haven't done the corporate thing for a while but I always find it crazy when you know I mean you even said the other day you know about this idea of like I've only got one or a half day it's like it's really
15: it's really important for me to add you know we're not this sort of utopian type of environment you know everything is just easy if and I'm not saying we have these people if you were just woefully kind of below par like above par i'm not a golfer um you know missing every mark turning up to work late when you're there and going and booking you know like seven months in guatemala of
1: course yeah yeah. of course there's going to be a conversation a bit of common sense yeah
15: but it's it's trust-based situation and i i think the longer i've done this yeah, you can motivate people for a minute or an hour or a month, mm. or, but, but, but to, you know, for me to try and continually motivate you, I think is a waste of my energy and a waste of your own in a way. It's like, mm. you know, I'm looking for people who want to do this for them. Yeah. And what I want to do is create this environment that works for them because I'd experienced an environment that didn't work for me. Mm. So I'm doing all I can just to create this platform mm. Yeah, that enables people to build their dreams.
0: Bit of a personal one. What do you think is the maybe you have off the top of your head the craziest thing that you've ever pawned or lo- loaned or whatever okay. the
16: word is? Well, we've um, we've looked. I mean, if anyone's seen the TV show, we've I've been flying in. Uh, we've looked at biplanes signed by Vera Lynn. We've looked at wow. submarines. We've had Nigerian fighter jets. I've had Queen Victoria's underpants. Wait, 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 wow. wait, wait, wait. Okay, <laughs> let's go
0: scr- <laughs> Let's just go back for a second there. Queen Victoria's underwear
16: queen victoria's knickers we've had in yeah so we've i think we've how do you value that? something like that i even know well, yeah i mean i checked them out thoroughly i really inspected them yeah. Thoroughly. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy good going over but <laughs> yeah so no i mean they were they don't come I and mean, they were in great condition they had the monogram and everything okay. so i think we facilitated that it was quite a while wow. i even got about 12 grand for those i mean but I've, to me, it's not... Who's what, buying? Sorry, who's buying that? Well, they're collectors. I imbe- mean, what, investors ca- and collectors, yeah. I mean, right? if, if you're into um, the monarchy or you are into that field in terms of the collecting stuff, you can't really get better than Queen Victoria's knickers. Can no, you, you can't. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, some people say about the value, and you know, it's not always... I mean, they weren't particularly valuable. I mean, we've had um, some collections worth... I mean, I've had one scroll of the Quran that was worth 800 grand. Wow. Uh, but for me, one wow. of the most interesting things that came in was um, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. You know, the guy who sadly died, and he was found in the swimming pool at the time when the guys uh, had just become famous. Not long after they'd sort of um, uh, come to notoriety, he his um, some letters that he sent to his parents that were found in a loft, um, saying, and it's quite touching. It was to his mum. And it said, mum, I'm here with my girlfriend in Windsor. Um, I reckon we're going to be really famous soon. They've just got me to have my hair cut into a sort of mop. It was it's just a... Wow. And they, I've actually, I've taken images of them. I've got them somewhere. Yeah. And uh, we found a collector who really wanted those. And again, it wasn't, they weren't really, in terms of their value, I think they came to about eight or nine grand because we had his school tie. Okay. And we had wow. um, these, I think there's about five letters to his parents and some other little bits and pieces of his. But these letters, to read them, uh, he was writing them as a sort of 17 or 18-year-old. Wow. What a cool thing to write. I mean,
0: I yeah, was, someone from the Rolling Stones yeah. being like, I think we're going to make it. Yeah, yeah I think That's yeah, so crazy. It was really good. You mentioned you did some, um, you know, spent some time in Turkey and Dubai and stuff like that. What sort of would you say is the difference between sort of business in those countries and then doing business in the UK?
17: I think if you don't go anywhere else and, you know, and you just sit in the UK, watch the news, you know, you think everything is, you know, great here. And it is great to an extent, you know, it's a lot better than I would, I would more than happy live here than in a lot of countries that I've seen. But in terms of business, I think, I don't know, coming back from Dubai. So, you know, that's the the few days ago. So that's the most uh, recent example I can give. I don't know I think they just kind of celebrate and push more business kind of people but saying that looking at the you know other other, other side of it I, w- I would rather be a business owner in Dubai than like an employee but in the UK I'd probably rather be you know an employee than a business owner you know if you if you compare the two I think they just push uh, I think the service the hospitality uh, of just uh if you want something done, you know, if you've got a business mm. and you say I need this, you know, you call and you get it done. But mm. in the UK there's so many hoops and things to jump through and regulations. Yeah. Just... I feel like they make it
2: hard for people to start a yeah. business in the UK.
0: It does feel like that there's a lot of red they dis- tape. They discourage people. a Lot of red yeah. tape.
17: And then taxes as well is obviously is another thing, but there's so many like hidden taxes mm. in the UK that you don't even probably realise. Mm. And then once you add it all up you know you pay tax for this you pay vat for this then you buy a house and you pay this tax and then at the end you die and you lose 40 yeah, the gov- yeah yeah the government earns yeah i think, all think that's the that's the difference but maybe in dubai the government got enough money as it is so they don't need to take yeah, the they're doing it right. yeah, yeah. there's that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then
0: also between all the stuff like you know health and safety and all the different things it's like there's so many yeah. different rules and regulations jeff mm. i mean I've, i'm sure it's a nightmare in food i mean yeah that's gotta be a, a minefield of think you know
17: there's 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 a lot yeah there's a lot, I suppose you know some things are good and some things are just unnecessary, um but I suppose it can't be perfect, but yeah, coming back from Dubai, it definitely opens your eyes, I mean the food and the restaurants and the hospitality and the service is just like on another level.
0: Would you ever like to move out there?
17: It's too hot for me i wouldn't I wouldn't move. I'll go there for like a few months of the year, mm. I mean, we're looking at opening a shop out there right um. Okay. But over there, if you open food, it has to be, you can't just open. And yeah, no, shop. no, I've it heard. It has to be, you know, another level because there's so I much deserve. competition. Yeah. And there's people bringing out your food, like with, they're doing backflips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Over the top, it's yeah. all Instagrammable. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But the service, I mean, everyone's happy. You know, you walk in, you need any help. They're more than happy. They're all smiling here. Like, even staff-wise, I mean, we've got good staff. But in Dubai, from what I saw, the staff are so happy and so helpful. And they, you know, I think they're trained well as well. I was going to say, why do you think that is? I don't know. But here, like in Dubai, they come over and say, can you scan this? Please leave us a review, Mm -hmm. you know, and the service has been top. And in the UK, when I ask people, can you tell, you know, when customers are finished, can can you ask them to get a review? And they say, oh, I don't really like talking to people, asking for... You know, what are you doing here? Why are you working here? <laughs> you know, they're just it's just i signed the fucking thing <laughs> <laughs> um it's just yeah it's just i don't know it's just different and i suppose it's different yeah, different yeah, yeah. world different there's yeah. probably goods and good and bad things there's a lot of bad things probably over there as well but living here yeah i think definitely they should be a little b- bit more relaxed in terms of people creating businesses providing jobs yeah you mm. know opposed to just taxing the hell out of everyone until like bleeding people dry until they've got nothing left
7: yeah there's this amazing quote that i'm gonna butcher but um one of the collison brothers uh, the stripe founders um talks about which is basically that when you look around this world and you see you know amazing buildings or amazing companies or amazing projects or charities or whatever all of these none of these things existed before they're not natural that you don't just suddenly appear out of nothing and that is somebody or some people's passion project thing that they've committed all of their time and money and effort mm. into. And that's what gives us these majestic, amazing things. Um, mm. and, and remembering that of like, actually everything has to come out of nothing in, yeah. in that sense. Uh, yeah. And I think it's most true for startups.
0: Have you noticed much in terms of the way of competition? Are there other people doing the kind of thing that you're doing? And if so, how do you navigate that and separate yourself?
18: Now, yes. Before it was, it was like, it was uh, now. The, but uh, competition is a good thing. Because the more competition there is, the more they spread the word world about this particular treatment. Mm. So they come up with different marketing and the, the lymphatic drainage is good for this. And different. So the more people know this treatment, the more they search and the more they come back to you. So it's almost like we are in it um, promoting this particular treatment, which is hands-on approach to beauty, which is world is moving to now mm. i think world want that personal right now especially after covid and this, in the major cities so much stress they want that personal hands-on approach and if it makes in and if it's result driven that it's amazing so and that's what we're trying to create so we have like we combine treatment well like infrared sauna cryo chamber ivy drips booster shorts massage body wraps so you almost feel like okay if you're tired why don't you have today a, ma- a magnesium wrap or have mm. a little like you feel a- inflammation have an infrared sauna so we have this combination of treatments which um complement each other to more of a hands on and cared for, so people come in, they would be tired, they know go to sauna, put a nice bathrobe and go have a massage, and it's all not just to make you feel better mm. but also result driven. What's
0: your favorite brand and
16: why?
4: Oh, so, my, my answer to this is it's Red Bull, right? Um, and the reason why I love Red Bull, similar to what I was saying earlier about the idea that, um
0: when you're into sports and stuff, into like sports, I, th- I was thinking yeah, you were going to say Red Bull.
4: They 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 facilitate like a dude jumping out of a balloon out of space, right? <laughs> like there's some really cool things that they do, and, and every great sportsman and woman um tends to have a Red Bull helmet. That's how it works, and so um th- that's incredible. But the reason why I love that is because I think it's awful stuff, and I don't drink it, <laughs> and, and that is what as a as a brand building nerd like. The, this is the stuff that I geek out on. So the fact that I, I hate the product and I can still love the brand is, is like doubly good. So that's, 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 that's my go-to answer. I think
19: one of the benefits from the pandemic was that we saw that things can work and you can afford some flexibility. Um, and you know, I you know, obviously I was looking at the business going bust at the start because the first thing that you think when you shut down the world is rec- recruitment's gonna stop. So mm-hmm. um, you know, it was very frightening. One of the the very nice things for selling in the early months was being able to see the kids a bit more, and obviously we had that lovely, lovely spring weather at the same time, so uh, it was super intense, but actually being able to uh, eat with the kids every day was quite quite nice mm. um, and you know, even I enjoyed that the The flip side to where we are today, and we all talked about you know we saw this in, in the kind of the rise of of, of tech stocks uh, and, and the, the boom in, and I guess subsequent fall, fall of them, but um, we all thought the world's going to Stay like this forever. You know the general general trend of human beings is, is probably kind of levels out. You know, there's there's a change, but it's it's probably a lot lot slower than we perceive. But there is change and progress. Mm. Um, and so, you know, capturing some of the best things from that. So, you know, being able to trust people to do a good job. Um, you know, bear in mind that adrenaline was pumping, people had the flight flight of, of fight uh, coursing through their veins, and didn't know what was coming. Uh, and there was also no other option, right? So we were all forced to do it. Uh, you know, now running a hybrid blended business, wherever you are, I think I think it is difficult, right? And and you're seeing that now where, you know, the economy has turned is, you know, we all thought we've cracked it for the last two years. It's, it's gonna be super easy. You even see this with the far bigger bank stocks where mm. you know, they've just piled in people and now cutting people. Mm. So it, it's encouraging to see even the biggest companies in the world make the same mistakes. Yeah. 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 Um, I like go back to, I think it's our responsibility to help people understand what it takes to be successful. Um, and if I was a junior, and I've said this openly to to, to people in our, our firm, I would look at my boss and I would ask, does that person make me better? Um, and if that person makes me better, that's probably a boss worth working for because that's their mm-hmm. responsibility to, to you. Uh, and if that boss is demanding and asking you to be in five days a week as a 21 year old to 20, you know, eight-year-old 29-year-old i'd probably just do it yeah right? because you've got you know you've got so little time right you've got 10 15 years to get good at something if you're going to stick at it mm. um uh you know and even if you're not going to stick at it my my view is um you know suck up as much as you can as quickly as you can to to get the reps in uh, and if you decide it's not
20: for you you've learned as much as possible yeah. right and you can take that to wherever you go, go next. Mm. Just for the record, like, <laughs> this isn't really about mental health or whatever, but I have felt emotions that I've never mm. felt before. You know, I've always never been an anxious person. And I've had days where I, you know, I'm struggling to get out of bed because I feel like I have a brick on my chest. Yeah, And there is just that aspect, aspect that is a reality. And having spoken to other business owners and founders, it's something that I like to talk about because I don't think it's something that's spoken about enough. Like, yeah, hustle be- porn is yeah, really yeah, is really But how do you
2: everyone. manage that?
20: Because I, I'm I, I'm the same. To be yeah. honest, with you. I've definitely
2: noticed that my relationships with some of my friends I'm seeing them far less than I used to. Yeah. Um. Because we've just spent so much time building mm. building this,
0: and I felt the chest thing too. Like, yeah, I haven't quite morning, got just... to that point, but I, yeah, I've yeah. definitely felt
2: the anxiety for sure. Yeah. Um. So how do you how do you manage it? What's your sort of advice if you can if you can offer it um, um, on on yeah. the
21: friends piece? Yeah. I I like to think about it this way. I look at life in chapters, and I think about this chapter of my life, and it's yeah. dedicated to making Perfect Head a success. Yeah, and so it's a good I, way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I understand that there will be. You know, further chapters in this book, and I'll have many, many, you know, lovely times to spend with friends in the future, um, and I have had in the past. And so I, you know, think about really great times, and Mm. then I'm like, one day it'll happen again, but not, not in the near future.
0: Playing devil's advocate, do you think? uh, I mean, do you think there's a chance that you might, as Perfect Ted gets bigger and better, which I have no doubt it will be, it's a great product. Uh, Mm. Do you think they'll get to a point where? You know you say well okay in five years when i've earned x amount or perfect has done x amount then i'll see my friends." but then at that point you're like well now he might be able to get to this level or your friends
2: might not be there in five yeah. years that's
0: what i mean so do you ever right. think about there's that risk of if you get there you might it, you might kick the can further down the line with it no pun
2: intended <laughs> oh,
0: you yeah. love that yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. even realize you said that okay and i'm the comedian <laughs>
21: <Yeah>. <laughs> i think i think my grandmother always likes to say you have to know when to hold and when to fold and I think that will be very obvious when the time comes um, but I do think that the the true real friends will be there in five years because um, they're here now and, and they provide support in a different way and are incredible um, so yeah I think we're very lucky to have that support system in our lives that understand what we're doing.
20: The thing that comes to mind for me is I've been watching the Lewis Capaldi documentary i have never watch watched that it, but I want it's, watch on my, that. it's on my on my list yeah. it's really good and i think at one point he'd just been super successful with a album launch or whatever and he was like i've never felt more insecure in my life and i think when you have a moment like dragon's den and you have the growth that we've seen it can go two ways you can either have a really inflated ego become a dick mm. and just like ride the wave and attention mm. which is cool like mm. it's cool or i think you can and i think this happens when there's such a disparity between how you feel about yourself and how others perceive you, that dichotomy can cause insecurity. And so actually, when you talk about, when you say that we're successful or that I'm successful, it actually just makes me more insecure in a way because the level of expectation and pressure that that imposes on me. And you're totally, by the way, I know it's a compliment and I love it. And like, I do I do think it's very nice and I do think it's the right thing to say. And um, but I do think that expectation and that pressure, even now, you know, the business has grown to a point where we're sharing it with Stephen's team. Like, this is the growth. This is what we hit this month. Okay. That, that month is only as good as, you know, mm. that month. And then mm. next month, it's like you reset the clock and it's what can you hit? Um, so the expectation is mm. higher. The stakes are higher. Um, At what point, think, if, sorry, go on.
21: I was going to say, um, I do think, though, that one tactic that you can employ to get away from that a little bit, that kind of insecure feeling, is taking count of everything that you have done, looking around and thinking this is pretty amazing, Um, which I said earlier that we have not done enough, but I do find that in those really strong moments of anxiety, um, you know, for instance, we just moved into a new office and the process of moving was grueling. And I was not having fun. And then I kind of just stopped and I thought, this is a physical sign of growth. This is insane. Mm. And we're so fortunate to have the opportunity to be in this office Mm. space. why don't i just like look at it in a different lens and i think it's about that reframing in your mind you need to take a step back
2: sometimes yeah Yeah. look at the the bigger picture for what it is yeah um yeah Yeah, sure do
20: you ever think
21: the imposter syndrome will go away no because
20: i think the challenges that we'll start facing or the people we will start being in a room with will also get crazier Mm. i mean we went to this founders event where it was like half the cast of made in chelsea and these founders of these big brands and It was a bunch of VC firm venture capital firms and they were being interviewed and they asked, you know, someone asked the question, what's one piece of advice you'd give for founders that are looking to raise money? And they said, Well, you know, timing's really important. But then there are brands like Perfect Ted where we're begging to open up a fundraise. Mm, And the whole room like clapped. And I think for me That must have been a moment. That was a moment. And for me, you know, there are other moments where I'll be on a Zoom call and we'll I'll just think, you know, I'm pitching the product, pitching the brand. And they'll ask if they can take a photo of a Zoom because they saw our episode and they want to show it to their kids wow. and they're big dragons and fans. Or That's cool. The other day I was on a tube and this guy, not to stereotype, but was covered in face tattoos from Liverpool and really strong. And I don't know why, I just didn't think that he was the kind of guy that would drink our drinks because we skewed 65, 70% female, etc. And yeah. uh, he sits down next to me, he goes, So what do you do? I said, Well, I'm in food and drink, he goes Is it Dragon's Den Worthy? (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He goes, I watched your episode. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so Uh, those kind of moments make it worth it.